Before I get started, I'm going to go ahead and just pray um, as the kids go back. Dear Heavenly Father, just ask that you are here today and that you will speak the words that need to be spoken and the words that don't need to be, that will just be erased from memories. Um, uh, Thank you for the beautiful day and for the folks that are here fellowshipping and worshiping together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm here today preaching. I'm going to be sitting down because I get a little shaky in the morning and I guess nervous in front of people too, so I'm going to sit down as much as I can, but Bill and Chris are out they are on their anniversary trip. Is that today? Is today the anniversary? Yesterday. yesterday. I, why would I ask the son? Who said <laughs> random folks? It was yesterday. Um, <clears throat> I was hoping everybody, uh, if you can pull out your phone, and if you've got an engagement sheet, if you don't have Bill and Chris's uh, phone number, it's on the engagement sheet, and we're just going to uh, write happy anniversary to him right now, and everybody's going to send 35 text messages to Bill and Chris. It's 28 years. So we can half clap for that too. 28 is a huge number, very cool. They are traveling, to my understanding, to the southeast. So um, just uh, time away together, honoring their, their wedding um, together. So I thought that was pretty cool because that's something that Jessica and I do. We try to do every year something little, something big for our anniversary. And uh, oddly enough, or I could probably say godly enough because um, we're talking about blast dealing with the number 10 and uh, with Bill and Chris taking an anniversary trip, I promise I had this part planned before I knew either of those things. Um, I was going to tell the story of Jessica and mine 10-year anniversary. Um, this, this trip, we're coming up on 13 now, so this is back in 2019. This is a long one, but we started planning actually uh, right after the nine-year anniversary. I was in my living room and I was watching Wimbledon, and I really like Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer, and I, I was thinking, man, I'm, I don't know how much longer these guys have to play. I would really love to go see them at Wimbledon. And I kind of thought back at coming up to the five-year anniversary, I was thinking about taking a trip over to Europe. But five years, we just didn't have the money in my uh, bank account, and so I thought that, well, you know, we'll go to Punta Cana this year. Maybe 10 years, we'll get to that point. Um, 10 years, we had three kids, um, so it kind of became a little bit harder, but I thought, when I was sitting there in front of that TV, I thought, this, we're going to do this. So I started talking to some friends and my brother-in-law and made some decisions. And uh, right away, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to London. We're going to go to Wimbledon. We're going to go to Scotland. And we're going to go to Paris. And Jessica's not going to know any of this. So, yeah. So, <clears throat> so that was the deal. And uh, I just kind of went with it for, for a couple months. And um, the other thing I wanted to do was she has a, a wedding ring, and it was the engagement ring with the actual stone, and then there's like a, a wedding band on the backside that has five little diamonds, and then it doesn't match because there was nothing on the front. So I thought that would, be, that would be the anniversary gift. I would give her that ring, and we'd be at the Eiffel Tower, and it would be so romantic, so romantic. So there's, there's the 10-year anniversary. I mean, it's, it's planned, it's set, everything's going to be great. <clears throat> Not at all. So... <laughs> So I'm planning all this through, and I, I should also mention, so um, I'm very frugal. Uh, the whole front row just giggles. Um, so my mom and dad always tell me, if they give me money, they say, I want you, if they give me money as a gift, they say, spend this. They always say, spend it, because I take the money and I don't spend it. I put it in the bank and then just let it go. Um, so my grandmother had passed away uh, right after the nine-year anniversary, and as I'm already planning this, and I've, I've got my budget, I've gone to the travel agent, and she gave me what the budget would be, and that wasn't going to happen, so 
Uh, that was my first mistake. I turned her down and decided I can do this all myself cheaper. So anyways, my grandmother passed. She had given some money to her kids, and my mom just basically gave that money to uh, her kids and some of the caregivers for my grandmother in her final days. So that money came out just a little bit above the budget I had set for this 10-year anniversary trip. And so I thought, okay. And she said, spend it. So I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this trip. I'm going to do it right. And um, it really meant a lot to me because my grandmother actually loved Jessica more than she loved me after like, <laughs> I don't know how many years that she knew Jessica. She was like her favorite. So I thought, this, this is perfect. This is, this is exactly what needs to happen. So, um, so I'm going through. Christmas is coming up. Uh, uh, birthdays are coming up. I'm, I'm trying to help secretly have people buy Jessica gifts without her knowing for this trip. So like she got a new suitcase, um, she got vacuum sealer bags, some, some books to read on the airplane, stuff that like wouldn't really tip it off, but that she could be prepared. So everything's going great. Um, I made sure that I, I called her boss and, and had coverage for work, um, letting her know that, hey, we're going to be out July, whatever, through whatever and Jessica doesn't know about it, so I need to get coverage. We got coverage there. Uh, we have those three kids that I talked about. I made sure to get, it, get a hold of the grandparents and plan that out. Who's going to get the first four days? Who gets the second? Who's switching out? What all that's going to look like? Somebody's got to take care of the dog. Get that taken care of. Somebody's got to take care of the house. We got that taken care of. Oh, yeah, how we're going to get to the airport, how we're going to get back from the airport. So I'm just killing it right now. So on Mother's Day, this is May. Mother's Day, we leave in July. So May, June, July. Uh, I guess we're in May, so June, July. So like two months beforehand, I think to myself, it might be nice to let Jessica in on it a little bit so she doesn't have a panic attack that day. So in May, her Mother's Day gift, I let her know that, hey, we're going to be taking a trip for our 10-year anniversary. I don't tell her where we're going, but her best friend knows about everything. So I say, Jessica, you can talk to Laura, and Laura will help you pack. She'll tell you everything she need, you need, and everything's going to be okay, and you know that you're going to be gone from your babies for seven or eight days, whatever it is. Okay, so again, still just killing it. So um, the Odals, uh, okay, well, I guess first, uh, 4th of July, we're, we're, okay, let me back up again. I'm making all these plans. I've got everything set for the, for the airline tickets. The last day, we leave on July 5th, 4th of July, I wake up and I go to my parents' house because I've still got a bunch of last-minute things to do. Professionally, I'm a planner. I like to plan, but I don't really stick to it. I also kind of go off the cuff. So at the last moment, I'm spending the last day, which might be my last day in front of my kids, right? We might die on this flight. So I'm spending the last day away from my family, making plans, buying these city tour passes, and I book one hotel because we had this whole Airbnb thing, fell through as a scam, whatever. So I got my first hotel set in place. Mind you, we're going to four different places here. I have one hotel. So I get that set up. We do the fireworks at my parents' house that night. We let the boys go with Jessica's parents. Uh, we come back home, clean the house, and get ready. I don't know, we woke up at 4 a.m. or something like that to go to the airport. So the Odals take us to the airport and uh, drop us off. And everybody, everybody in the world knows about this except for Jessica somehow. And uh, we get into the Lambert, and I hand her the two tickets that say Boston. And Jessica's like, oh, cool. Uh, shebang. So, uh, <clears throat> so we're going to Boston. She's super excited about it. Um, so we get to Boston, and, and something that happened with Boston, it was originally planned to be um, a, a minor layover. It was like an hour, so we're going to go straight from there to London. But awesome news, they got bumped up, so that's why we had to wake up so early. So we had a couple hours in Boston, so now I just get to add Boston to our trip. So things are going great. So we get to Boston, and it's miserable. 
We have uh, 90 plus degrees, and we're carrying enough luggage to last eight days in foreign countries, uh, two backpacks, a small suitcase, and then a huge suitcase um, for preparation for whatever Jessica could possibly do in a place that she has no idea where she's going. Boston's really old and has a lot of cobblestone roads. So as we go through, and I have zero plans for Boston, by the way, we're dragging all this luggage around the cobblestone roads. Uh, we go to the oldest restaurant in the entire United States. Uh, the food's terrible. And then we go uh, back outside as we're sweating and drag dragging this luggage everywhere, and we go sit by the Christopher Columbus Bay. And I have no plans, so we just sit there for a couple hours in the heat and uh, watch the water for a while. And I tell her, we, it's because the hotel's not open. We gotta hang here for a little bit until the hotel will let us in. And uh, finally, I just got tired of it because it was so hot and sweaty. And I was like, all right, we're going to London. And that was the moment where we had the most famous expletive in our family history, to my knowledge, where Jessica said, are you blanking kidding me? <clears throat> and I, it hit all at that moment that I just planned a eight-day trip across the world that my wife had no clue about. What a total disaster this is. <laughs> I, so I realized that she's going to be away from her babies. How old was Ezra? A year, maybe? So it's July, so a year and two months. Uh, more than that, I guess, but not, not well for me. And so it all kind of came into fruition that I made a huge mistake. So we take our bags and we go to the airport and we, uh, we catch the red eye out to London, which if you guys haven't done a, a long trip where you're planning to have an anniversary romantic um, stay, I would say that taking a red eye to start the vacation is not wise. <laughs> so we do that, and it's six and a half hour flight, um, 20 degrees maybe inside the airplane the entire time, just absolutely freezing uh, to the point, remember I said I was tight, I fought it the entire time where they're trying, I think they froze us out on purpose, they're trying to sell us these stupid blankets. And uh, about five hours into the flight, I kind of broke down, I said, here's my 40 bucks for a little napkin that they gave us for a blanket. And I let Jessica have it while I was trying to squeeze in as much as I could, but we're, the point is we're miserable, right? We both slept for about three hours, and then we land in London, and if you guys don't know, uh, London is huge. I didn't know that. Uh, it's one of the largest cities in the world, and it can be super confusing. The airport, also huge. Had no idea. So we had to make it through there. Um, they do speak English, but it doesn't make sense so much over there. So after we kind of found out how to get through the airport, we made it to this thing called the Tube, which is like a subway or something. Had to find out how to even do that. I should make, make a, a note that we had less than $200 in cash, and I had credit, right, yeah, that. See, that's what I should have known beforehand. So they told me, the, the guy I talked to said, once you get to the airport, make sure you get your credit card there, that way you'll have the money to spend. So the first thing I did when I walked off the airport is I went to get our cash from the uh, ATM machine or whatever it was, and uh, didn't work. So I used my other card, and it didn't work. So I freaked out, and I kept my mouth shut, like I wasn't freaking out, and we went down to the tube. And we went into London to go pick up our city pass, because I thought that would be smart instead of going to the hotel first. Mind you, we still have all this gigantic luggage that we're tired from carrying around, have slept three hours, and we've been awake for more than 24 hours. So we go into uh, London on the weekend of World Gay Pride, and uh, it is packed. It is packed, and people are happy, except for us two. And <clears throat> we're going through trying to go down this 
small little building that you have winding staircases, so I had to go down while she kept all the luggage up in this, uh, you know, foreign country that we've never been to before, separate from one another, and I'm downstairs for a couple hours, uh, come back upstairs, we have the tickets, now we can finally go get to our hotel. Remember when I said London is big? So London's big, and to whenever you want to find your hotel that's in just outside of London, uh, that means you have to take about a 40-minute tube, and then once you get off, you have to uh, trust somebody to tell you where to go because your phone doesn't work, and you can't Google Map over there. So we got to the top of the tube. We kind of went down this. I mean, we're in just a regular town. Uh, we went down a path for about 20 minutes. I don't know if we're going to our hotel or not. We talked about three different people on the way. They said, go down this way. We're starting to get into some shady neighborhoods. Uh, it was like an abandoned uh, hospital that we went past. And then we got to our hotel. We still have all this luggage, by the way. That's still with us. Uh, still just dying right now. And we get to the hotel, and that's the moment I remember, oh, yeah, I don't have money. So we, we go to the, to the uh, lady up front, and I hand her my first credit card, and she denies it. And I freak out because I only have one card left, and I hand it to her, and it goes through. Later, I think I realized that time change, I think I had overdrawn on my card, and it wasn't the next day yet back here in the States. So that's, that's what had set that back. But I didn't know this at the time. I thought we were out of money, basically. So we get up into our room just outside of a big city. If you've been into a big city hotel, you know what size those hotel rooms are. I did not think of that. Uh, a lot of stuff I didn't really think about. So we get into this bedroom, and it is a bedroom. It is a room with a bed, and then like maybe a path for your feet to go next to the bed. And so we, we open the door, I see that room. This is our anniversary suite. And I collapse on the bed, and I start breaking down. I, uh, I bawl my eyes out, to be honest, because Jessica only knows about what's going on with London. She doesn't know the rest of the stuff. She doesn't know we don't have hotel rooms. She doesn't know I'm broke. So I break down, and I tell Jessica, all right, we're going to Wimbledon, Scotland, Paris. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> and that was basically it. No joke. And she just kind of uh, smiled and took it in stride and uh, told me it'd be okay. And I'm not joking. I think I cried myself to sleep. And I slept for about a day and a half. I don't know. It was forever. And so she, did she. So we wake up in the middle of the afternoon the next day. We've already wasted all this time that I've already got planned out. And she gives me a, a serious pep talk of we need to make sure that, you know, this, this is a trip you plan and we're going to make the best of it that we can. So, um, so that's what we did. Um, kind of woke up, got our heads back on our shoulders. Or she had hers on hers. Uh, my, my mom was... My head was back here or something. So she got my head back on my shoulders, and we made the best of the trip from there. So we went to London. We saw Buckingham Palace. We saw the Da Vinci exhibit, which was like the real Da Vinci stuff. Uh, we went up the monument to the Great London Fire. We went across the Tower Bridge. We went to the Tower of London Castle. We saw Big Ben. It had scaffolding all over it, but we kind of saw it still. Uh, we saw the London Eye. Jessica had her first Shake Shack experience in London. Uh, we went to, to Wimbledon. We, had, uh, we enjoyed some hot coffee and hot cocoa on this like concourse uh, outside of actual Wimbledon where you just sat on the grass and kind of enjoyed your morning. We slept with that blanket that we bought from the airport. 
We got in, I got to see Sam Query beat Tennis Sangren on court 12, saw another match, uh, walked by Lindsay Davenport, I sat on Henman Hill, got to eat, not enjoy, but eat strawberries and cream, um, it's terrible. We saw the Bryan Brothers, which is the most famous and best uh, doubles team in American history, play on the famous court 18, which there's this match that took three days to be completed. Um, we ate fish and chips, we went to court three, which is a big court, while we didn't get to see these guys, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, Serena Williams, they all won that day, and it was lovely. It was great. Um, <clears throat> so then we went to Scotland, and Scotland was a flight from London, so we had this gigantic luggage bag, and we realized we could keep that at the airport, so things are getting better. So we left that at the airport because we're going to catch that on the way home. So we went to Scotland with less luggage. Uh, we saw Edinburgh Castle. We, we did the Royal Mile. Um, got to see all the Gothic architecture and sampled some scotch, which was awful because we hate alcohol. Um, we went to Loch Lomond, which was this small, quaint little uh, loch. Um, we also went to a Piper Bar, and we were trivia night losers. We were team Highlanders. Uh, and then we went to Paris on our anniversary. So this is July 11th. And, you know, it was the pinnacle moment where we see the Eiffel Tower and Jessica says, huh, it's not as pretty as I thought it would be. <laughs> so it's like, we finally made it, and she hates it. We did a bus tour again. We did that everywhere we went. Uh, we got to see the Louvre. We got that final piece of, of, of our puzzle where, our, where we've got the Eiffel Tower in the background, in the backdrop, and I gave her the, the last piece of her wedding ring that she's wearing now. That, uh, you have to ask her that, how that happened. So then we sat at this nice restaurant outside on like one of those famous uh, French porches and, and Notre Dame Cathedral with the roof burnt in was in the backdrop and we had a, a great breakfast. It was, it was awesome. So then we came back, Paris, London, Boston, St. Louis, and, and everything was great. So we saw so many amazing places and did a lot of lifelong dreams. And uh, in the moment, it was a total disaster. <laughs> but afterwards, looking back, um, it was awesome. It was very cool, and it was done as a team, which was, which was even cooler uh, for me to, to think that I could do something as a surprise and know that I won't attempt that anymore for the rest of my life is a little bit of a relief. Um, but through all of that, I had one moment. I had one moment in that eight-day trip that stood out to me more than, <clears throat> more than anything, and there was a moment where I was uh, smart enough to uh, know that it was happening in the moment, and I captured it on camera. And, um, you know, I do a lot of photo dumping and cleaning out my phone all the time, and this is the only photo or video, it's actually a video, um, that I've got remaining from that trip still on my phone. Everything else is on a hard drive, it's still saved, but this one I want to have on me because just in case, uh, you know, there's days where I've got bad days or I get stressed out, I'll pull this little six-second video clip up and I'll watch it, and it's, uh, it's great for me. So... Out of all the highlights that I shared from London, Wimbledon, Scotland, Paris, uh, this is the one that took me completely back. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that was my favorite thing of that whole trip. So, believe me, I realize it's a really weird sermon so far. <laughs> it's going to have a point at some point. Did you know that Jesus performed 37 miracles in the Bible? I didn't know that. 37. Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding in Cana. He heals an official son at Capernaum in Galilee. Jesus drives out an evil spirit from a man in Capernaum. 
heals Peter's mother-in-law sick with fever, heals many sick and oppressed at evening, first miraculous catch of fish at the lake of Gennesaret, cleanses a man with leprosy, heals a centurion's paralyzed servant in Capernaum, heals a paralytic who was let down from the roof, heals a man withered hand on the Sabbath, raises a widow's son from the dead in Nain, calms a storm of a sea, casts demons into the herd of pigs, heals a woman in the crowd with an issue of blood, raises Jairus' daughter back to life. There's more, but right in the middle, about halfway through the list, we reach a pivotal moment, and that's going to be our scripture today, and that's March, Mark 6, 1 through 6. I'm going to ask you guys to turn there. I'm going to read here as you're turning. Jesus left there, and he was at Jairus' house, and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that they've been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Then it kind of turns. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They took offense at Jesus. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. This just hits me a little closely uh, when I was first reading it. Um, When I think about the people I encounter here at Family Bible Church, I kind of just make an assumption that we're all on the same page, right? We're We're all here uh, so we're probably all Christians. And I realize that's you know, a general statement. It's probably not true for everyone, but statistically speaking, probably more accurate than not. If you're here every week, I would assume there's a good chance maybe you're a Christian. My question to myself, uh, and all these questions are for myself really, is am I stagnant in my relationship with Christ? Are we stagnant? Has Jesus just become a name for us more than anything? So, because I know the answer to the test, I'm not paying attention in class anymore as much, I guess. Do we show reverence and adoration to God? Do we honor God in the way we worship here? Do we just stand up, sit down when we're supposed to? Do we have our hands at our sides, our feet firmly on the floor, and we sing the words or whisper them if they're the three songs that are on the screen? Are we actually worshiping? And again, I'm, I'm talking to myself, but... Um, but I do kind of one of those things for us because, like I said, I feel like maybe we're sort of in the same place, being that we're here every week. So, and I, I don't mean to say that that's anything to do with Nate and Em or, or Bill. Of course it's not. It's, you know, my relationship with God is the only key relationship that I have with worship. So I, I know that Jesus isn't just a carpenter. I know that he's not just Mary's son. I know that God isn't just my father. But has he become such a mainstay in my life that I've actually forgotten that he is Lord? Have I put him in the background for when I really need him? Is it just, oh yeah, that's, that's Jesus back there. Uh, yeah, we go way back, met back in the 90s, used to hang out a lot. Now I just kind of text him whenever I need advice or some help. I don't know. <laughs> it is kind of that way for me. I'm going to read some other texts, and I don't want you to turn here. If you want to write these down and back check me, you're more than welcome to. So it's going to be Mark 1, 2, and 3, but Mark 1, 21 through 28, 
says they, and this is Jesus and a few disciples, he just picked up, I think he's four or five disciples, went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. These people are excited. They're amazed about what's going on. Mark 2, 1 through 5. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was, not, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the words to them. Some men came bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered, that mat, lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he, was, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. So again, these people, are, they're, they're gathering around. There's so much, they can't even fit in a room. They can't even fit outside the room right now. They've got to get on the roof to actually get to Jesus, break through the roof to see him. That's how, that's how badly they want to get by this guy. Mark 3, 8 through 9. When they, and this is a crowd from Galilee, heard about all he was doing, many people came, from, came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions around the Jordan and around the Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep, keep the people from crowding around him. Now he doesn't even have enough room on land. He's saying, get me ready, give, give me a boat ready so I can actually be on the water to be able to speak because there's just too many people coming to me. That's how excited, how amazed people are of Jesus, who this Jesus guy is. Everyone is amazed. They're all taken back. They're fighting through crowds to see Jesus. They can't even fit near him because he's Lord. And then we go back to Mark 6 and we realize these people in his hometown, his relatives, his family, his friends, they're just like, That's, isn't that the carpenter? Mark 3, 20 through 21 also says this. This is right after that portion where Jesus is out there on, on the lake. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered surprise, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. So I'm picturing him in a room, he's, he's so bunched up, he can't even lift his, hand, his food to his mouth because there's just so many people that want to be near Jesus. But when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. They don't see Jesus as Lord. They're thinking, this, he's, he's gone off the deep end or something. I mean, that's the way I'm reading it. So are we walking through life wrong altogether, going through the ups and downs of, of what life is? And for me, I feel like I'm, I'm finding different purposes, building certain things up in my mind of what the purpose is, whether it was school when I was younger or, or getting a job or getting the raise or uh, building a house or raising the kids. You know, there's, there's different focuses on in, in, in my life, and I'll, I'll really hone in on that, that goal, that achievement, 
and I forget about what's going on right here, which is, you know, the most important thing. Like my embarrassing anniversary story, I've absolutely spent too much of my life focusing on the wrong things. But I do have those brief moments where I'll catch it and I'll recognize what's going on in that moment. And maybe I don't pay attention to that, but I do save it back in my phone or in my memory of this is really what's going on in my life and this is who I need to be paying attention to. For us, it wasn't the trip. It was the reason to take the trip in the first place, right? That was the reason I wanted to take the trip is because of Jessica. For life, it's not... It's not the road of what we're going through in life. It's the reason for life in the first place. We talked about, um, Mike talked about joy a couple of weeks ago. just need to stop and realize that everything we have in in God, in Christ, is that joy. And that he has given us what we have, whatever that period is, four years, 27 years, or 99 years on earth, it's all a blessing. And it doesn't mean anything. (laughs) You know, it means whatever we have right now, but it's not about right now, it's afterwards. Jesus was teaching amazing things in the temple. The Bible says he had wisdom. While I was going through this, I was like, I'm 34 years old. I'm older than Jesus. I can't think of a lot of people that are younger than me that have true wisdom. Said Jesus performed miracles. I know zero people younger than me that I've seen perform miracles. I, I've seen a single kid walk on water, change water into wine, do anything that I've heard about Jesus doing. Yet in Mark 6, we sadly hear those that are close to Jesus didn't find him to be Lord. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Brothers of all these guys, sisters here? Those who grew up with Jesus didn't understand that he was their Lord. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, with his own relatives, or in his own home. Well, I'm close to Jesus. I've known him my whole life. I figure that most of you guys are close to Jesus. But of course, that's not to say that if we're close to Jesus, we couldn't recognize him as God. Matthew 16 famously recalls where Jesus was asked by his own disciples, who do you say I am? And we know that Simon Peter answered Jesus by saying that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus goes on to bless Peter and he builds his church on him, right? In which the gate of Hades will not overcome it and Peter gets the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Quite the difference from the reaction that Jesus had from the unbelievers in his hometown It seems that Jesus kind of responds to the faithful, but to the unbelieving heart, he moves on. Mark 3, 33 through 35. This is picking up again where Jesus had left off talking about his, his family. He's inside. They're coming in talking. Somebody comes in and says, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are out there. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I'm going to interrupt myself here. Um, We're going to do communion. And I've got a couple folks that have asked to help me pass out here. Um, But as we jump into communion, just 
it's our remembrance of Jesus' greatest response to those that are faithful. And so um, can I ask those to, if there's grapes in the basket and then I think there's crackers in a separate bowl, whatever's the most convenient way to pass those out. And for those in the band, I've already told, but basically my brother, I'm going to jump back into this after communion, so don't need to come back up here. I think we're going to throw on a little bit of music in the background, but while we're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and just prep everybody. As you're prepping yourself, please know that this everyone's welcome to the table, right? We say that all the time. Everyone's welcome, but it doesn't mean that it's for everyone. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. So just remember, this is a holy ordinance. One more to celebrate the uh, remembrance of what Christ did for us. Sherry. Thanks, Kristen. So, <clears throat> boys, why do we do this? What do these mean? Mm-hmm. And why, what is it, why does that represent that? Why is that important to us? Why are we doing this? Yep. <clears throat> The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, that's what we're going to do whenever we do this. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As you're ready, take and eat and drink. Dear Heavenly Father, we don't know what it means. We think we do, but we don't. Um, For you to send yourself as your son to this earth to save us from what we've done wrong to give us a chance to repent, to say that you are our Lord and Savior, and to have a chance to be with you in heaven for the eternity of our lives. Um, We thank you for that. We don't comprehend it, but we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to jump back in and, and try and finish things out for today. <clears throat> uh, so for those of us who do 
struggle to go through life in a way, like I talked about before, just one thing after the next, trying to, trying to make goals, trying to complete goals, uh, maybe not seeing the full purpose uh, of what's going on behind the scenes, but, but still knowing that, that we've achieved the top goal, right? We've gotten there. Um, my question is, what is next if that goal has been reached? So I'm going to, again, I don't want you to turn here. Just, just listen, if you will, but uh, you can take this down to verify that I'm reading the correct words. Colossians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray to you, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit, growing throughout the whole world. Just as it has been doing among you since the day that you have heard it, and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and pray, please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." This is the passage that Bill taught on, um, uh, I think it was late last year. Paul speaks of his team in prison, thanking God for the people of Colossae who are filled with faith. Epaphras taught these faithful people. He helps plant the seeds for the future. We can't know God and then go stale. We should strive to be that seed planter. We can't be planted ourselves and then bear little fruit. Well, ultimately, we will wither away. We need to find ways to continue to be fed into so that we may bear much fruit, live as part of the gospel so we may learn better to share the gospel. So again, I ask, what is the next goal? What is next if the goal has been reached? I believe that is to live the gospel. Don't just know the gospel. Finally, uh, if you're not the target audience I've been trying to talk to here a little bit today, uh, if you're not Christian in your heart as you would consider, take this as my attempt to be that seed planter. Salvation is possible through Christ. God came, he created the earth, he created us. We sinned, we separated ourselves from him. He sent himself as his son to this earth to save us, to die for us, to show us miracles, to amaze us, for us to reject him in that time, for him to die on the cross, to throw stones, 
to come back for us, to be raised into heaven so that we can ask for our own forgiveness, to repent, to be with him, while others of us continue, even ourselves, to reject Jesus. All of that done for us. I know I do this every time, but it's, it's our choice. And so it's the most important choice you're going to make in your life. Just think about it. Just, just think about what it actually means. Sit back and say yes or say no. But let that be your decision and then live it out. You're probably going to have moments in your life where maybe you sit back and you realize, oh, I forgot about what the true meaning is, what the true purpose is, what I really love. <clears throat> but he doesn't reject us. It's the other way around. So um, salvation is possible through Christ alone, and we have that through faith alone. And if your decision is to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, know that he is all that you really need. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, just, just thank you for being you, for uh, doing what you have done for us without us knowing how to accept that in the right way. And so we just ask that you will continue to pour that on top of us, continue to show us those moments in our life where we will step back and realize uh, what's truly important, what's truly the purpose of our life, and that is you. Um, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for this day. We thank you for, um, for the miracles and the praises that we've been talking about all week. Darlene comes straight to the top of the mind. Um, but everything that you've done for us, we thank you for because we know that it is something we should not have, we do not deserve. Father God, we pray for all those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.